Welcome to a new episode of Greater Finance. I'm Gustav. And I'm Alex. Today we have no guest here, but this is one of the episodes we call Greater Finance Insights. This is the place where you head when you want to deep dive into any trending topics in the crypto and finance industry or space. Every Greater Finance Insights session will be focused on a particular topic that we need to learn more about. In this episode, we will focus on Ethereum and Bitcoin price predictions, mainly Ethereum. And why we want to do so is because the standard charted have come out on the, in the past week with a price prediction and analysis of the Ethereum price and compared the traditional finance industry to try to make some assumptions on where the price should be valued at. And Alex, is there something more we can tell about the summary of what has been done in this report? Well, there are two metrics applied here. They are looking closely into Bitcoin and seeing it as a currency and comparing it to Ethereum as an infrastructure that has the potential to enable a big financial market in the world in the future. And they also use another approach called the portfolio optimization approach to find one way to establish a value of Ether in the future. And they are very bullish when it comes to the price prediction of Ether compared to Bitcoin. They see that it will double in the near future, actually. Yeah, I was quite impressed when I read the report and when they laid out their thesis about the Ether price. So it will be interesting to talk about it with you today, Gustav. Yeah, I agree so. And uh, I think it will be really interesting. Uh, so should we jump straight into it? <clears throat> we should, we should. So let's lay the groundwork first here. Because the Standard & Charter, they want to give the reader some kind of insight to Ethereum and Bitcoin. And we know about Bitcoin, at least. When it comes to Ethereum, they do build on the same basic framework as Bitcoin do. It's decentralized. They use a blockchain to store the data. They use cryptography for security purposes. They have a fixed issuance schedule when it comes to give out new coins. It's a peer-to-peer -peer payments network, etc. So there are lots of uh, similarities when it comes to Ethereum and Bitcoin. But according to Standard & Chartered's report here, the main difference can be found in its use cases. So they are looking closely at Bitcoin and saying, it, saying that it derives its value from being a store of value, a medium of exchange, a hedge against inflation, and being a payment system. And they see that Bitcoin is very similar to commodities itself or as currencies as we are used to like the US dollar. But on the other hand, they see, they see Ethereum as a big platform where we can host a lot of application and contracts. So it naturally has a much wider range of use cases. And as we can see today, all the developers uh, building new applications, they are built on top of Ethereum and not Bitcoin. We have decentralized autonomous, autonomous organizations. We have non-fungible tokens. We have the DeFi craziness happening now, and we have ICOs, etc. So there are lots of things building on top of Ethereum right now. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with the, with the DeFi is just one thing that you, you have on top of the platform. Then you have, as you say, NFTs, DAOs, funding through ICOs, and so so 
if if you represent the financial market by being DeFi, it's much more than that. So it's a platform for so much. Exactly, exactly. So we can see that Bitcoin has a clear but yet limited use case compared to Ethereum. So it's quite interesting. Um, I think that the charter is doing some good job here. One thing that really caught my mind here was that Ether, the token on top of the Ethereum platform, the value in it lies in its infrastructure or the platform, if you want, uh, where it provides to other applications. Because as you know, the platform invites users to build and use different applications on top of the Ethereum network. We were talking about the DeFi and NFTs, etc. Users build them and use them on top of the Ethereum network. And that is what gives its value. So if you are you aware of the, the Bankless podcast, Gustav, you, you talk about it a lot. So of course you are. Yeah, I've listened to it a couple of times. And they talk a lot about these Lego blocks that can kind of tie into each other. So an example here would be we have a DeFi exchange called Uniswap. If I want to build some kind of application, I can actually use the liquidity and source liquidity from Uniswap and use it in my application. So everything can be built together on top of the Ethereum uh, platform. So it becomes composable, as they talk a lot about in the Bankless podcast, which I think is really cool. But what's important here is the network effects that have been given. Yeah, and I mean, this, this thing about composable banking, I think is a huge thing also in fintech. It's about how, how you can uh, become more flexible, uh, build different parts of the financial system as, as legal, and then you can break it down and you can use whatever you like and so on. But the, the main difference, and I know that the bankers have been touching that as well, is that if, if you take two fintechs from, from traditional finance, sort of, let's say, Revolut, and then you have uh, maybe Monsu, and one of them specializes in creating one kind of financial uh, solution, let's say uh, savings, and the other uh, creates a, a very good uh, uh, derivatives trading solution then these two won't be used by each other, of, each other, of course. They will be like competitors and, and uh, you will have to be customer at both to be able to utilize their two solutions. But in crypto and the, the Ethereum platform and in DeFi and everything, that's a whole nother story. Everything is open. So um, all solutions or all apps or dApps and so on, they will be able to use each other's um, solutions, which is very powerful if you think of it in the long term. In the short term, it doesn't maybe matter so much, but in the long term, this, this is what composable uh, decentralized finance or not even decentralized, just composable banking. This is what it uh, in the end will be about. Yeah, interesting description there. Uh, so it's frictionless. That's what I, I can think of when you explain it that way, Gustav. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, let's get back to Ethereum now. And um, with Ether, Ether is needed to power the functionality of the Ethereum network. And I like the analogy with uh, oil, because think if you have a machinery and you get out of oil, there is no more oil in there. The machinery will break down. It won't work anymore. And it's the same with the Ethereum network. If you don't have Ether, the asset, 
the token, the Ethereum network will halt. It won't be able to run anymore. So all these kind of applications that you were mentioning, Gustav, the, the lending and making them composable, it won't work without Ether. So it's extremely important. Yeah, exactly. And I, I heard uh, Raul Paul, he said in an in, in interview with Bankless as well that, well, he comes from the traditional finance and he's not so interested into this yield uh, generating solutions, which is then uh, DeFi. Uh, he's much more interested in NFTs and, and so on because that changes so much more. Uh, DeFi is just a copy of existing solutions, but decentralized. But in the end, it's same same thing. It's it's not revolutionizing so much. But NFTs, they, they're really changing social structures and so on. So he, he, he was much more interested into that. And I think that's really interesting with Ethereum because it's 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 a platform for so many different things. It's it's an, an enabler for so much. And I like what you mentioned here about oil, that it's the, the gas on Ethereum that's like oil. <laughs> or yeah. or uh, a modern oil, maybe you can say. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good, good way to say it. And as you talked about there, the NFTs and the DeFi, etc., all these applications, and the more popular they get, the higher the price of Ether will become, because you need to use block space on Ethereum, and then you have to pay it with ETH, etc. So, I think this is one of the the key parts here of the bullish case from Standard and Chartered when it comes to Ethereum, but. We're going to talk about the valuation metrics, Gustav. What are they? Well, you have the currency versus financial market metrics. So currency would then be Bitcoin, or they compare it with a currency. Uh, I, I would say, I think it's because of its limited uh, use cases. Um, and Ethereum is more comparable to a financial market, which we have been into a little bit, lending, insurance, exchanges, etc. Uh, so many, many more dif different use cases. Um, and then, so that's one. And the second one is portfolio optimization approach. All right. So let's dig into the first one. The currency yes. versus financial market metric. So what Standard & Chartered did here in order to establish a value of Ether was that they used the global credit card companies as the anchor to establish uh, Ether's value relative to Bitcoin. So if we start to have a quick look at how they did on Bitcoin, they uh, got the valuation by comparing the, the value of global credit card companies against transactions in the unbanked sector to arrive at the valuation. And here Bitcoin is seen as only a medium of exchange and a payment method basically, and also in a future cashless, cashless society. So it's important to highlight here that they didn't take the store of value aspect of Bitcoin into consideration. And they also did this on the unbanked world, not the whole world. Um, but they arrived at the valuation of Bitcoin around 50,000 US dollars. And that's quite interesting, Gustav, because that's where we are today. So they mean that it's fair value? Fair value if you take this limited use case into consideration. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and I, I don't, I can't say so much. I don't uh, say that they're wrong or right, actually. <laughs> no, of course, of course. It's just one uh, metric they've used to find some kind of value, a reference point, basically. But the more interesting thing here is uh, when they do the same valuation 
by comparing the value of global banks against the value of global credit card companies, because here they see Ethereum as the global banking system for crypto, providing bank-like services that we've been talking about. And the market capitalization of banks is four times bigger than the market capitalization of credit cards. And according to the report here, this would imply a four trillion US dollar market cap of Ethereum, of Ether. And then each Ether would cost $35,000 each. So that's quite a lot of money compared to where we are from today. I think it's more than 10x as of this recording. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that was one of the ways they reached uh, uh, trying to establish a value of Ether in the future. Mm. And the other one, Gustav? That's portfolio optimization approach. And I mean, many different investment firms and, and uh, banks and uh, investors and so on, they use this optimal portfolio approach to understand what they should invest in so traditionally it's like 82 percent or right now it's 82 percent bonds 15 percent equities and one percent commodities and it can be based on different uh, analysis reports and 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 so on and then they have added so 2.27 percent crypto should be um, a part of a portfolio today and I mean, if if uh, many institutions and, and so on would be adopting this to have 2.27% crypto in their portfolios, that's huge amounts of money that would pour into to Ethereum maybe. That's true. I, I've seen uh, numbers that the global assets under management is around 400 trillion US dollars and 2.27% would mean 9 trillion US dollars only in crypto. And the whole crypto market right now is 5x less than that. So that would be bullish for the whole crypto market. And Ethereum's current market cap is around 18% of the crypto market. And Standard and Chartered, they believe that it would increase to one third of the whole market. So, so this, according to this metric, the portfolio optimization approach, they see a price of $26,000. Uh, per ether, which is a bit shy of the thirty-five thousand dollars on on the other uh, currency versus financial market metric, but I mean it's still almost eight x from here or something. Yeah. So it's fair to say that they are quite bullish on ether. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what more? What yeah, what's more here? We, we have some interesting demand indicators they are taking up in the report as well. Uh, they are noticing that the transactions are increasing, the transaction fees are also increasing, and that has to do with a more congested network. More people are interested to use Ethereum. So we see Google and Twitter measures here. What is Ethereum? You are at someone on Twitter, etc. All of these ones, when it comes to Ethereum, are at an all-time high. So it seems like Ethereum is extremely popular right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and DeFi, I mean, a lot of the DeFi projects would, wouldn't be running without Ether today. But I, I do think that this can change also, also very easily when we see like Solana and, and stuff like that. But I'm not really the one to maybe say that that 
could easily change might be things that I miss and not really fully understand. But but I do think that like it, things go so fast in crypto that things can change a lot just in two years or three years. So, I mean, of course, I think that they have a, a big, uh, like the, the, the logic that they write in this report. And so I think it makes sense, everything. But I think there are a lot of unknowns here that you can't even bring up in such a report because you don't even know it. Uh, that, that plays kind of a huge part in where Bitcoin, but the Ethereum price will be in like two, three years, which I guess this is, will take some time before it comes up to 26 or 35,000. It can be many new um, metrics and indicators at that time. Well, actually, they are mentioning in this report that they are expecting this to be end of 2021 or early 2022. And uh, for Ethereum to trade this high, they are also referring to their Bitcoin investor report, which we not bring up here. But what they basically said there is that uh, they expect Bitcoin to trade in a range between 50,000 US dollars to 175,000 US dollars. And for Ether to reach those heights between 26,000 and $35,000, they are uh, expecting Bitcoin to trade around 175,000 US dollars. So this really is the, the best case for Ethereum. We should note it. We should mention that as well. But anyway, so, so there, are, there are things to keep in mind. And this price range might seem extremely optimistic. So it's also important to bring up things that are coming because Ether, Ethereum, they are going to go to Ethereum 2.0, which will try new things that we've never experienced before or explored. Or we, we have explored, of course, in other outside crypto, but in terms of crypto and this huge amount of users, we have never tried. So that might bring up some, some problems we have sharding coming, we have proof of stake coming, we have other um, hard forks needed in order for Ethereum 2.0 to be in place and really functioning as uh, intended. Because right now, Ethereum 1.0, as, as we refer it to, is not being able to run the whole global financial market on top of itself. It will need to become even better to do that. So uh, everything is not working as it should right now. That's very important to highlight, I think. Yeah, exactly. And it will be interesting to see how how the, the transition to E2.0 goes. And uh, hopefully there are no bigger issues. But if there's some issue, what can happen then? How will that affect the trust into the protocol and so on? Um, and then also the the sort of more deflationary, um, what do you say, monetary approach that they will transition to or have started to go towards. The EIP one five five nine, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, it would be very interesting. There are lots of unknown consequences, uh, both positive and negative. I believe there will be challenges ahead, but there will also be lots of potentials ahead. Before starting this podcast, you were talking about reducing environmental concerns as well as a potential benefit when it comes to Ethereum. 
Um, what is going on yeah, there? Moving now? from uh, 1.0 to 2.0 is obviously taking away the proof of work mining, if that's what you're thinking about, right? Yeah. And going over to proof of stake instead. And that will, of course, uh, limit the, the amount of energy that is used to process transactions. And uh, I think... I think the most important thing here is the sort of sentiment, the narrative around if whether it is environmentally friendly or not. And that, I think, have a huge impact in the price, especially in the longer term, than the actual uh, uh, effect it have on the environment and so on. Of course, it's, it's, it's good if least energy can be consumed. So it's a step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, definitely. The environmental concern is high right now and people and hedge funds and funds or, or whatever, people, investment investors, they will pay play a big role in this and investing into something that is environmentally friendly compared to something that is not environmentally friendly will, of course, be something that is coming. And I also think that ETH 2.0 is primed to take a big share of Bitcoin in terms of uh, those institutional money coming in. Yeah, and a lot of those institutional money can't be invested in something that's not um, non -effect not affecting the environment too bad. It, it has to be uh, sort of environmental friendly compliant, so to say, to even for that money to be possibly invested into something such as ETH 2.0 or yeah, they have to, to pay attention to the Paris Agreement and this EU taxonomy coming in as well. So there are lots of things to think about. However, uh, the final takes from Standard & Charter was that they think Ether is a better buy over the medium term compared to Bitcoin. And this is uh, referring to what Gustav said in the beginning, that we are expecting a 100% relative price gain in favor of ETH compared to Bitcoin. Mm. So that that's... Quite interesting, at least. Um, I think we, we brought up the main points from the report, trying to bring them to you. Uh, what's our takes from this in general, Gustav? Um, well, you probably will see regulations coming. Hard to know how that will affect the industry. You know, ICOs, different ways to raise money. I, I, I don't see how you will raise money in the traditional way that you do it any longer when, when this is more regulated and so on. It will probably be ICOs. That is the one of the main ways to fund uh, a, a company at early stage. Uh, DeFi, of course, regula regulations will come and it will be interesting to follow how that's, that is uh, um, being taken care of in the way that when you do decentralized solutions, how will we be able to regulate it and will we be? And if we will, how will that work? Uh, of course, a lot of uncertainties here that will be interesting to follow up. And then NFTs, same thing here. Um, very unclear around the regulations. Yeah, it's a waiting game, I think. Yeah. And then what more? We have, uh, I mean, it is, of course, a risky um, maneuver to go to ETH 2.0. So uh, it's a necessity 
necessity for the environment and the transaction throughput as we've been into, but uh, it's also a risky thing and can affect a lot of, of, the, of the price uh, going forward. Yeah, and I'm thinking also about if, if we have a bug, for example, in the contract, like n not in, in a single application, but if Ethereum or ETH 2.0 has a major bug, will the social contract be strong enough? Will people who use and support Ethereum, the protocol, will they be waiting or will they be patient enough to, to allow this to happen or will they change to competitors? You were talking about competitors earlier there with Solana and, and we have Cardano. There are so many aspirants here trying to get the market share from Ethereum right now. Yeah, and I mean, it's also that if there happens something, it's a bug and you lose money and so on, and maybe they don't even look at a competitor. They just uh, go back to traditional finance. And I mean, if you have a bug in traditional finance, which makes you lose money or something like that, that's simply not accepted. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't work that way in traditional finance. So. Yeah, I don't think that people have, I think they have a bit more of patience and forgiveness in, in, in crypto because it's so new and there's a, a lot of speculative people and so on. But if you compare with traditional finance, I mean, it's not like uh, anyone is accepting a bug in traditional finance. It's like uh, zero tolerance. And if it happens, it's a huge thing and the regulators will take very, very serious on that. True. I've never seen my bank account with a minus or something. So it I've works seen for actually. Me. I've seen, uh, but that have just been the the front end uh, a bit buggy. Okay. Well, as long as your money are there still, the digital numbers in the back end, it's fine. Yeah. Anyway, I worked at a bank uh, some time ago, and then then the <laughs> there could be customers calling in and saying, "Oh, it's it's zero amount on my bank account. What's happening?" And, uh, yeah, well, 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 it's just the connection between the back end and the front end. Don't worry, it will be fixed in a few minutes. <laughs> well, I understand their concern, though. You yeah, want yeah. to keep the money, right? Yeah. So I, anyway. think we, I think we got all the main points from this report. Uh, you will find the report linked here in the description. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. The daily updates are coming back Monday to Friday. You don't want to miss that if you want to keep up to date, right, Gustav? No, I think it's a good way to spend the least amount of time to get the most important news every day. I agree with you. All right, Alex, let's talk tomorrow. Ciao. Yeah. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.